Hey, it's Cam. Welcome back to This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope it is, but I have my doubts sometimes. I'm trying to be helpful, but boy, oh boy, has it been a busy couple weeks. I missed you, and I missed doing this. I missed the audio diary aspects of it, because often it's, you know, speaking out loud is how you translate the ineffable parts of this human experience into something we can categorize and slot into a neat little container in our brain to use for future reference. I suppose I should fill you in on what's been going on. As some of you may know, I was born in America, born in Montana, and I've been living in Australia back and forth for the last 14, 15 years, and I hadn't been home in four years because of as a flu going around. Not sure if you heard it, pretty underground. But I'm back, and my goodness, is it a journey to be back here. June 28th, we left Bowen Heads, Victoria at about 6 in the morning, drive to Melbourne, fly from Melbourne to Auckland, Auckland to L.A., L.A. to Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City to Billings, and then drive from Billings to Red Lodge. And it's about 40 hours of traveling, but I'm used to it. It feels good. I love the feeling of being on a plane because it's strangely peaceful with its solitude. And now they're offering Wi-Fi on planes, and I say no to that. No Wi-Fi for me on the plane. The plane is historically a place to de disconnect. And the last thing I want to do is connect further while I'm in this tube hurtling through the atmosphere over thousands of miles of deep, dark ocean. Planes are something that, if you think too long and hard about it, you come to the only obvious conclusion, which is we should not be doing this. But that's what humans do. We do what we shouldn't do. And who am I to say what you should and shouldn't be doing? You do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. Do what makes you feel good. I believe if feeling good is your main prerogative, and I mean really feeling good, waking up and feeling good, not just fleeting moments of pleasure and bliss, but waking up and feeling good in your skin, good in who you are, good in what you're going to do, then everything else will fall into place because when you start doing what you really love, when you start doing what makes you feel good, you end up attracting more of that. It is the law of the universe, the law of attraction. You get what you are, and we see what we are. And I feel like I see good. Um, I don't think that what I have is toxic positivity. I think it's realistic positivity. I do believe that you create your own luck when you work at it hard enough. And when you train yourself to see the bright side, your life becomes the bright side. And these are the little concepts and ideologies we use to navigate the human experience, navigate life on Earth. But... It's confusing nonetheless. And I tell you, coming back from Australia, being away for so long, there are a lot of things that I see now in this country that I took for granted, that I took at face value, that I never really explored. One of those things is consumerism. My goodness, the consumerism. Stuff, so much stuff, so much plastic, so much waste. And I'm not here to rag on the United States. I, I love it with its beauty, with its flaws. 
perfectly imperfect, really a, a notion of the universe, this perpetual expansion and the pursuit of balance amongst that. And that's what homeostasis is. Homeostasis is the maintenance of that internal balance despite fluctuations in the external. And if we are in an ever-expanding universe, then the balance is always playing catch-up. And the way to catch up for humans, I think, is to stop and be still. Sit. Breathe. Tune into the ever-present flow of abundance that exists around you. When the space that we call empty, that nothingness is the fullest space there is. And I'm already getting distracted. I don't really have an outline for this episode because I haven't posted in a couple of weeks and I really just want to check in. But... I promise I'll try and transition into something helpful. Something that I've really had to start practicing again is the consolidation of energy. I think that when we are unmindful, we are constantly leaking energy. We leak it into the familiar past. We send it into the predictable future. But the past is merely a microscopic interpretation of events translated into our own perception through our unique neural pathways, and the future doesn't exist. The future is not predictable. And I think there's a, there's a lot of lessons in that. There's a lot of lessons in natural disasters. And speaking of natural disasters, we arrived to one. A few days before we arrived back in Montana, there was a pretty catastrophic flood in an area that doesn't flood. I mean, in an area that doesn't flood while we've been there because, you know, we got to zoom out, zoom out of our own timeline. Oh, this is the craziest flood in the last 60 years, 100 years, 1,000 years. Yeah, once in a 1,000-year flood until it happens next year, until it happens the year after that. Weather events are becoming more extreme. Deforestation is taking around, taking away the underground root systems that help to consolidate that water and direct it where it wants to go. And boy, let me tell you, the river does what it wants. By comparison, our power as human beings, at least in that raw elemental force, is very small. And we are living at the base of the Beartooth Mountains. Yellowstone. This is a place carved out by violent elemental forces. So can we be surprised when violent elemental forces rear their heads? And what do we do when that happens? How do we reconcile that fact? How do we come to terms with our own powerlessness in the face of absolute power, in the face of something that can destruct and I think there is a correlation between these beautiful places and environmental hostility, danger. Montana is so beautiful it makes you want to cry. And it's deadly. Blizzards, hailstorms, forest fires, moose. I detest most. Moose are nasty. And I'm, I'm a pretty loving person, but I think that moose... We're not loved. And that's their problem. They're just pent-up rage bundled in strong, gamey meat with a penchant for aggression. You have mountain lions, and I 
to got to tell you, if I was to be killed by any wild animal, it would be the mountain lion. And it's because they are such intelligent hunters that they go straight for the jugular, wrap their jaws around your neck, and suffocate you. Yes, okay, sometimes they scratch out the back of your spine with their hind legs, but hopefully I'm already blacked out by then. Got grizzly bears. That is an animal that I would not like to come into contact with on a, on a dark night. And I've seen quite a few grizzlies and luckily I've never been charged. I always carry my bear spray. I don't carry a gun because as if I'd be able to aim when I have a thousand pounds of aggression hurtling towards me, but bear spray, it shoots out in that big 30 meter spray and the bear runs into it and they get some itchy eyes and they can't smell and they run away. I'm not going to be able to aim a Glock. Are you serious? Some people might, but they got nerves of steel. I am actually quite a nervous person. And I accept that and I embrace that because it makes me deliberate, I like to think. Thought out, intentional with my actions. So this flood came along and it destroyed and impacted about 450 buildings in Red Lodge. And that's really unfortunate because only four people had flood insurance. Four people had flood insurance. In a couple of hours, people's lives changed forever. And what happened? Community happened. Volunteers happened. Political divisiveness and polarization is set aside for a brief moment so we can help our neighbor sandbag. So we can help our friends rip up their carpets so that we can put aside our differences and realize that we're just trying to survive. Right? Political divisiveness, that happens when people spend too much time in the digital world, too much time watching the news, too much time stuck in an algorithm that is telling you how to think, and not enough time out in the wild. Not enough time asking people how they are, really how they are. Asking people what makes them happy, asking people what makes them sad, realizing that the parts that we keep hidden are the parts that draw us all together. Vulnerability, that brings it out. You can't hide your emotions when your house has been washed down a river, and nobody expects you to. Nobody expects you to be okay. And it's a strange season on the river, let me tell you that. If you don't know already, my dad has owned Adventure Whitewater in Absorkey, Montana for almost 30 years now. And I've been on this river literally since I was six months old. My dad took me down on the first trip. So I have 20-something years of memories. And going down for our first scouting trip of the season after the floods, none of those memories were sinking up. Nothing was fitting in. I didn't know what I was looking at. These bends of the river that I knew like the back of my hand, now there's four or five different channels to take. Entire decks and patios and indoor bathrooms that are now outdoor bathrooms and rebar and building materials and giant oak trees and cottonwoods creating sieves and strainers across the river that are deadly. When there's a tree over the river and you run into the tree with your boat, the water keeps going and the solids get stuck and humans we're pretty solid. And so we get pinned up against that tree and we drown. And so to say that I've had an anxious start to the river season would be an understatement. We have a bunch of new guides and 
boy, what a season for them to start. <laughs> and they're doing great. The river is philosophy incarnate. To go with the flow is to surrender and accept. The river has changed. It's different forever. Despite what we may want. The familiar past cannot predict the future because the future is in itself perpetual chaos and we are part of that divine chaos. And that's a beautiful thing and when we're on the river, the philosophy is that we're reading the water, right? Because you can never trust yesterday. Today you must make today's decisions and we can only make those decisions in the moment. We can only greet each moment with the same skills and ideas and practice and philosophies that we have right now, which is why I have this inherent faith in the universe, because I believe that when the opportunity for decisions come, I will make the best decision I can with the information I have available to me. And when I know better, I can do better. But in the meantime, I just have to do what I can do. So we're reading the water, noticing the convergence, the different channels that are spilling into what we knew. We aim our boat in the direction we want to go. Eventually, we set ourselves up. And when we turn the boat, it's not that we're turning it to go immediately in that direction. We're turning it so that we can work with the river. We don't want to fight the river. You cannot fight the river. Our entire job, our entire vocation out there is to find the path of least resistance. And sometimes the path of least resistance is diving into a big hole. Tacoing your boat. Throwing granny's glasses into the river to be swallowed by the mountain gods. It's a scary job. It really is. We had these new guides and I said, All right, boys, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm ready. And they go, You're nervous? You've been doing this for so long. Yes, I, you should be nervous. You should have a healthy level of anxiety. Anxiety is a healthy, natural response to doing something that humans were not designed to do. If we were designed to be floating down rivers, we'd have webbed feet. But instead, we have rafts. We have paddles. We have life jackets. We have things that increase our chances of survival and allow us to navigate something that previously was not very navigable. Navigable. Navigable, that's the word. It's strange being back, but it's good being back. I love working with my body. I feel good again. I feel strong again. My body is doing what it was designed to do. The muscle memories kicked in. And when I get on the river, I feel good. I feel secure. I feel confident. I feel like I'm in my element. And it's a beautiful experience. You're often taking down people that live in the middle of the cities. They live with street lights and traffic stops and whistles blowing and lines and red tape and you come out here and there's none of that. There's none of that. There's a person sitting next to you. There's a person sitting across from you. There's a guide in the back of the boat and you must work together as a team through communication and synchronicity and identifying strengths and weaknesses and shifting people around accordingly, making sure everybody is safe. And through that safety, you can have an incredible time. And it doesn't always go to plan. It's another part of the philosophy of the river. Things change in a split second. In a split second, you go from laughing and smiling and giggling to paddle forward. Paddle forward now. Paddle harder than you've ever paddled. Paddle as if your life depends on it, because it does. 
Your life does depend on it. And customers will often have no idea how anxious I really am because I'm a professional masker. I'm all about transparency, but I will not sacrifice their comfort and their stability and their trust in me. And so I mask it and we do that. And through that masking, you develop this confidence and they see your confidence and they feel confident because of it and they listen. You have to be assertive. And I've never been loud and boisterous. I'm not shouting at the top of my lungs. I think that confidence is quiet. And when you say paddle, they paddle. And when you say lean in, they lean in. You develop this bi-directional trust. Your differences get put aside because for the next couple hours we're surviving and we're gonna have a good time. The river is the ultimate philosophy. It's soft, but it doesn't break. It's fluid, but it can tear through anything. In its way, we are nothing, but when we surrender and adapt and go with its flow, we find the path of least resistance and we come out alive. And it's been interesting seeing my dad run this business for 30 years. And being away for the last few years, I've developed some certain insights. I think the distance brings clarity. You can't see the bigger picture when you're in the bigger picture, but when you can take a step back, you can see things from afar and you can see little implementations and alterations and things that could really boost this place up. It's a business that really, it runs on the smell of an oily rag. He's done very little in the past 30 years to, to change things. And that's because the river is the feature. People want to come and float. And that's all you really need. But I'm thinking about the future. I'm thinking about my dad retiring. He's 66 years old, maybe 67. He can't do this forever. He's been a guide for 42 years of his life. To do anything for that long is an impressive feat. So no wonder his hunger is ebbing. His ambition is slowing down. To maintain is the greatest accomplishment at this point. But I'm here and I'm, I'm ready and willing and able to help. And I see what can be done. And he's got to relinquish some of that control. Surrender. Accept. Accept that he raised me and I see the vision I always have. I'm here to contribute to the family business. I'm here to contribute to people's happiness and enjoyment and fun. I'm here to give people a river trip that hopefully they get out of the boat and they go home that night and they're thinking a little different. They're feeling a little different. Mosquitoes. And it's a, it's a great way to do that. When people get on my boat and we hit a quiet stretch, I get them to close their eyes. Breathe slowly and deeply. Just listen, smell, wrap your awareness, wrap your consciousness around everything that comes into this space that is you. And quite often, I'll say, all right, it's time to open your eyes. And they don't want to. They don't want to open their eyes because there's so much richness of experience, so much abundance coming into that sphere of consciousness that to open your eyes is to draw you back and anchor yourself in this one single perspective that is nowhere near as rich and as deep as what you get when you close your eyes. What you get when you notice the sounds of the birds, the breeze on your skin, cows mooing off in the distance, the trickle and splash of ice-cold water ebbing out of the Beartooth Mountains, the soft dip of paddles in the water, God, it's beautiful.
It's so beautiful. And you don't have to go to a river to do this. You don't have to go float. You can do this at any time. In fact, I find the best way to quell my racing thoughts is to go out and close my eyes and focus on the birds. Because birds are very much like thoughts. If you hear them, they come into this space of consciousness. And you don't hold on to the sound of the bird. You let it pass. You embrace it. You accept it. You digest it. You become aware of it. You let it go. And the birds are so sporadic and chaotic in their, in their movements and their sounds and their communications. And then when you have the sound of your thought come into your mind, it's just another bird. Your thoughts are the first layer of the external world. They really are. Your thoughts are a manifestation of neural pathways that are taking in data in the form of your five senses and the atomic field of energy around you. And that's translated into electrical currents that stimulate different regions of the brains to present a context and an emotion and a feeling and a memory. And we use those memories and those feelings, consolidated experience as a way to interpret the world. And it makes me think of, of energy. And I'm trying not to talk about this too much right now because I really don't understand what I'm saying. Sorry, there's mosquitoes around me. The atomic field of energy. There is no empty space. The space that we call empty is full of atoms. Everything is atomic. And when somebody is in a mood, when somebody's in a negative mindset, they are manipulating that energetic field, that atomic field around them. And when they project that negative energy to you, that energy is funneled through your senses onto your electrical conductive pathways to stimulate a response, a reaction. And if we are not conscious of that energy, if we are not conscious of our mindset and the automatic perceptions we have when we encounter that energy, that energy easily becomes our own. That energy is infectious and then we can easily spread it to others. But if you can practice your mindset, if you can practice meditation, if you can practice deliberate perception and an altering of the information you're getting to be in a different light, through time, that negative energy does not impact you the same. That negative energy comes in and it's translated into positive energy because you know that everything is a projection, a reflection of the self, that nothing is personal, that the only reason that person is pumping out negative energy is because they don't feel good. It's not about you. It's not about you. And when you don't feel good, you don't act good. So if you can turn yourself into a beacon of positivity, not in a toxic way, not in an unrealistic way, not in a way that disregards and devalidates other people's experiences, but in a way that recognizes that human suffering is one of the things that we all experience. No matter who you are or where you come from, everybody knows what it's like to hurt. And so if we can recognize that when somebody says something that, that triggers you, that affects you, that they don't feel good. It allows you to respond deliberately with compassion and kindness and patience and understanding. And when you flip that negative energy and you send back love to that person, you change their energy too. You know how easy it is to change somebody's energy, to change somebody's day, their week, their life? 
a compliment. It's so easy to give somebody a compliment. Compliment somebody on their hair. You go, I love your blue hair. When did you get it done? That color really suits you. It brings out the color in your eyes. They go, oh my goodness. Thank you. And you can see it shift. You can see the energy shift. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in their disposition. You can see it in the way they carry themselves. Your word is your power. It is your power. It is the first power we have. It is how you build. It is how you break. It is how you understand, communicate, how you come together. The four agreements. Number one, be impeccable with your word. And that means communicating how you feel, what you want. It means communicating your questions. It means seeking. Agreement number two, don't take anything personally. It's not about you. Everything is a projection of self. Number three, don't make assumptions. You can only not make assumptions if you don't, if you take the first two and really practice those. Don't assume anything. Oh, they didn't text me back. I bet they're angry at me. I bet they don't really like me. I bet they don't feel the same way about me that I feel about them. You don't know that. You simply can't. You simply won't until you are impeccable with your word and you ask the question. simply can't. And the fourth agreement is to do your best. Do your best with the understanding that your best will change from day to day. Those four agreements are a simple yet profound guiding framework that we can use in the absence of all else, what we can use in the absence of community, of structure, of support, of religion. We can do those things. Be impeccable with our word. Don't take anything personally. Never make assumptions and do your best. That's what it's all about, my friends. It's taken me a few days to reestablish the framework of my mind that I've been using the last several years because our minds are heavily context dependent. And the context of my mind when I'm in Montana is fun, is sunshine, is going out into the woods, it's playing with my friends, playing hacky sack doing things that I've always done and I still do. And I slip away from this medical professional persona that I've been acting through and embodying the last few years. And it's not that that's been a show. It's not that that has been a facade. I think that it's just a different version of myself. I think that we have many, many versions of ourselves and each one has been developed in response to a situation so that we could handle that situation in the best way that we could. But a lot of those learned responses, a lot of those learned selves, they were learned through reactions, through reactionary mechanisms that helped to keep us safe when we felt threatened. You, know, you can have a calm, peaceful, loving disposition and you can still get angry and triggered and you go, who is this? Where did this come from? Why is this happening? Why have I done that? It's because at some point something happened. And in order for you to feel safe, the first reaction that occurred was to get angry, was to get defensive. The ego flares as a protective mechanism and you react. And you go, that doesn't feel like me. That doesn't represent how I wanted to go about things. And so it's those little nuances of self that are stored in those neural pathways that we can work to decondition. 
And in order to decondition them, we have to be aware. And awareness only occurs when we are reflective and introspective. And when we zoom out and we look at the mind from a distance and realize that that's not us, that's the self. That's a consolidation of experiences stored in gray matter. I am the awareness of this. And when I can take a step back and zoom out and see things from a bird's eye view, I can see the patterns. I can make little alterations and adjustments and shifts, divert that electrical energy current away from its preconditioned path onto a new path. And we're not trying to build new highways, so to speak. We're trying to modulate current habits, become aware that our patterns are more complicated than A, B, C. Our patterns are zigzagging, like pinball. And so it, that can make it difficult. We say, why am I like this? Why have I done this? Because we're not aware of the nuances of our patterns. We wake up, we're a little bit tired. We check our phone first thing in the morning, get a little boost of cortisol, some dopamine, see a negative headline. That shifts us a little further in the direction we don't really want to go. Walk inside, walk into the kitchen. You're out of coffee. Damn it. I'm supposed to get that at the store yesterday. Now we've dropped a little bit lower. Your partner comes in. Hey, did you hang out the laundry yesterday? No, I didn't. I forgot. Why, Hank, why, why did you... Why are you saying it like that? I don't know. It's because we've already bounced through five or six patterns, and now we've reached a five or a six on the emotional scale, and at that point, anything can trigger you. Slow down. we got to breathe deeply and slow down. Now, I'm sure this was a rambling podcast, and I hope that you're still here. I hope that you enjoyed it. The bus is back, dropping off some river people. I gotta go work. I gotta go do what I do. Hopefully give people an experience that they can take home with them. I will be back. I will be regular after this. I needed a couple weeks to shift into the framework and mindset over here to be able to draw these elements of myself that I developed while I was away into the self that I am here, hopefully consolidate these experiences and become a more well-rounded individual. I have some exciting things coming up. I can't wait to share them with you. In the meantime, stay positive, breathe, take care of yourself, take care of your friends, get some sunshine, get out into the nature, because this is summer in America. Peace.